Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. What's going on, everybody? Hope you guys are all having a great day today. It is... I guess the night before the podcast releases, so right in the middle of the holidays. Hope everyone is able to have, uh, you know, spend some good time with family and friends, you know, whatever the COVID rules allow us to do. Um, Austin is unable to join us today, I guess you could say, but uh, he did join us on the episode. Um, He's a little bit tied up this afternoon with some events. Um, So I'll give you an update on my end. I know myself and Austin, we've both been making a crazy amount of offers recently it is the best time of the year to make these offers i have three offers outstanding myself and austin that we offered an off-market seller i had an offer accepted last friday on a sevenplex and i just heard back today about another sevenplex that accepted our offer and i know austin has a whole bunch of wholesale deals that he's offering out on as well so we're definitely going to be raising private funds so if you guys are interested in uh lending out money in exchange for pretty favorable interest rates like i i like to structure my stuff directly with lenders which allows me to kind of pass on the savings from the lender fee directly to the lender themselves and in exchange allows me to save on the double-ended closing because i usually raise my debt as as promissory notes so if you guys are interested in that feel free to reach out to myself or austin we're happy to chat with you guys about that ultimately for you guys like right now is probably the best time to be making offers sellers know that you know december is not the best time to be listing your property on the mls or even trying to get a private sale going so if they're interested and if they're you know discussing with you the option of selling their house that they're in a they've already kind of considered that and they already know you know everything that's going on and they've decided consciously that i'm okay with a lower price today which allows me to then recycle my capital buy something else or maybe there's something else going on in their life that they need the money today so they're definitely what you'd call more motivated sellers rather than someone in the summer right so you know if you guys are young and you're hungry and you're looking to grow uh, grow at a fast rate right now is the time to be throwing out a whole bunch of offers and, and seeing what sticks right it's also a great time to you know build out your power team right and a realtor that's willing to work during the holidays is someone that's willing to grind with you and grow their own practice right nothing against people that take the holidays off i think it's great um, everyone eventually wants to be able to take the holidays off it's not like you should grind forever but you know, like if you're looking for young, hungry realtors that are looking to build themselves and a brand around themselves, this is a great time to do it, right? So get out there, make offers if that's what you're looking to do. Myself and Austin, we had a strategy session on Monday where we talked about kind of the future of Rise, the podcast, and our own joint venture partnerships and our own uh, goals and what we want to accomplish in 2021. Um, I used to think a lot of this mindset stuff was just like mumbo jumbo. Like I never really cared for it. I was just like, ah, like that sounds like a problem that people with too much money have. Like just never really thought it was worth my time, right? You know, I started getting more into it last year and I, you know, real estate is, I think Aaron Bay on the Rise Facebook group, he actually says it, said it really well today and I was just reading his comment, but real estate is 90% mindset rather than, you know, money, deal, anything else like that. A good part of it is the mindset because shit will happen and it's just about getting past that. So that's a good entryway into our guest for this week. So we had Sean Ria on the podcast. Sean is a real estate, real estate investor. He's, you know, he's really leveled up. Over the past few years, he started off 
uh, with you know more typical real estate investment assets, and he's moving a little bit more into land plays and development plays. And he talks a lot about mindset and what you know adapting and changing his mentality has really meant for his real estate investing journey. So I'm hopeful that you guys will get some good value out of it. Hope you guys enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll be in touch next week for myself and Austin's episode. Sean, how's everything going? I'm doing amazing, man. I'm blessed. I'm really glad to be here talking to you guys today and sharing my story. I'm excited. I love your man cave. Thanks. <laughs> you renovated it yourself? Mm, 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You got to outsource things. You got to outsource, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Sean, for the people who don't know who you are, why don't you give some quick insight into your background and how you got started into real estate investing? So seven years ago, I was not financially stable at all. I was struggling with finances, living paycheck to paycheck. I was working my nine to five job. I just wasn't in like a really healthy mindset. And it made me realize that I was doing something wrong and I had to fix something. And so I went down this, this path of, you know, learning about real estate and I started reading different books, like listening to podcasts like this, like just kind of creating awareness of like what, what I was doing versus what other people are doing that are, are in the shoes that I wanted to be in. So I, I, I was realizing, man, there's people that are my age that are in a much better situation. How can I get there? And so, yeah, I, I started investing in real estate and basically my first property was a house hack. So that was seven years ago. My very first property I ever bought ended up being uh it was a duplex. I house hacked it. I lived upstairs. I rented the downstairs, covered a good chunk of my expenses. I made a ton of mistakes along the way and I so many lessons learned. But uh, fast forward seven years, I've created a, a good a good real estate portfolio and created what I would say is pretty close to financial freedom for myself. You are technically financially free though, right? You're not working right now. You're just grinding away at real estate. Yeah. So I, I guess I, you could say I'm financially free. I still do a lot of stuff which is, you know, it's still real estate related. It's still, you know, making money. I'm trying to make more money. So I'm not necessarily just like sitting back, not doing anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm hustling just as, as, as hard as I was when I was working my nine to five and doing everything else. Right now, the reason that I'm not working is actually because I'm on paternity leave, which I'm lucky enough to be able to do. So my wife hasn't worked for about three or four years and I was able to take the full 18 months for paternity leave. And uh, so I'm just kind of enjoying my time with the family and <laughs> sitting back, relaxing. Yeah. So th that's, that's what I'm doing, but I'm still hustling really hard and I'm not just like, you know, laying back, not doing anything. I'm, I'm doing something every single day. That's trying to get me to that next level, that next step. Yeah. That's awesome. So like how many, how many units are you at now and what type of properties do you really invest, you primarily invest in? So I'm at 40 rental units right now, and that is a mixture of duplexes, primarily duplexes. So like the majority of them are duplexes. And then I, I have mixed in there uh, eight block townhome building. So it's one building, which has eight townhouses in it. And then I have a couple fourplexes, a couple triplexes, and that's it. Holy crap, dude. That's an impressive portfolio. And a lot of the acquisitions, for those who don't know, they were, the, they were in the last couple of months, if I'm not mistaken, right? So it's crazy because once you really educate yourself and you realize what you can do, right? You don't know what you don't know. And I love that phrase because there's so many people that are, they can't imagine like, man, how could I get from point A to point B? 
and they don't ask the questions, right? They just say, I can't do that. But the reality is, is anybody can do this. You just don't know what you don't know. And you haven't, you haven't been in the right rooms and you haven't asked the right questions or listened to the right people. So yes, everything that I've done, even though I started seven years ago, I would say 80 to 90% of what I've accomplished has been in the last 24 months. Awesome. I, I know you're big into mindset, Sean, and that's kind of what you attribute your success to. So I want to peel back the layers into that. So actually, let's actually backtrack into kind of your story. You said you weren't, weren't in a great financial position when starting off in real estate investing. If you don't mind, what was the reason for that? Was that because of your own spending habits or did you run into some troubles? And how did you manage to get into your first property with financial troubles? Yeah. So I, I didn't do it the conventional way. I've talked about this in the past to, to some other people. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know if maybe I did it the wrong way or I, I didn't do it or I did it the right way. I don't really know, but I'll tell you how I did it. And that was basically working lots of jobs and trying to make extra money. So I know that's not the way, that's not the conventional way that other people are learning how to do it right now. But basically like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for punishment the reality is that I honestly just didn't know. I didn't know how to raise private capital. I didn't know how to get money from other sources. So I assumed coming from a, like, I, I, I came up from a family that had no money. Right. So, you know, I, we, we, we lived in a single family home. We struggled to keep the roof over our head, pay our mortgage. You know, I, I shopped at food banks as a kid and I didn't understand money. I didn't know how it works. So I just assumed I have to work hard to get money. I have to, I have to work more jobs. So at, that, at the time I was working a nine to five job. I was work, you know, starting my career as an IT guy. And I realized that I needed to do something because I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was struggling and I needed to get out of that situation. So I ended up, I had my first daughter and honestly, that's what changed my whole life, man. Like, like when I had my first daughter, I was like woke that's the best word to use is like, I had my first daughter. And then I realized that this life isn't just about me. It's not just me trying to, you know, buy things that I want me trying to impress other people, me trying to do everything that's self-centered around me. It was about, Hey, like, what am I going to, what am I going to do with my entire life? And then, and then leave for somebody else. Right. So at that moment, I, that's what kind of brought me down this whole mindset journey of like, okay, I need to change my mindset now, which was like, uh, broke mindset, scarcity mindset, you know, just thinking about myself, not thinking about others and how I can help others and how I can do things to serve others, which in this case was actually my own family. Right. So yeah, I, I basically, I basically worked three jobs, like to, to cut it short, right? Like I worked three jobs. I worked my, worked my butt off and did that for about a year to save all the money that I needed for my first down payment. And that, that, was in Niagara, right? Your first property? Yeah. Yep. That's amazing, man. You know what? Like, although it doesn't sound glamorous, that's the reality for a lot of people is, is that if you have, if you're in financial struggle, you can't just go out there and get OPM right away. Right. Like people, they're going to look at your credit history. Yeah. They're going to look at your track record, which you have none at the time. So what else can you do? You just got to grind. You got to hustle. You got to work your jobs. You got to save that money right? Which is what you did. And a lot of people won't even put in that effort because they stress at the idea of working more than one job. Like just me thinking about it, I probably don't want to work more than one job right now, but like kudos for you for going through all of that. Yeah. Like the yeah. first one, two, maybe even three properties is where you're most likely to make a lot of like mistakes and learning lessons. So I, I, I'd almost say like doing that with OPM is, is not the right approach, right? Like learn on your own dollar and then help other people like get higher returns, right? And that's kind of the concept behind the OPM. Okay, so so 
So Sean, you started off in single family house. You grinded out for a couple of years. I'm assuming to save that down payment. You bought that one. When did you really start doing like multifamilies then? Yeah. So I started that, 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 that first property that we're talking about was in 2013. Right. right. And from 2013 to 20, yeah. From 2013 to 2018, I did nothing. Oh, whoa. Like, yeah. So, so, so the journey, what was the reason the journey? Is it it just, you didn't know what to do or. I didn't know what to do. Ah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to get to the next step. So I have a piece of, I feel like most like average people, you buy one property, you go, okay, I've got my house. Unless you're trying to like right out of the get go, like build an empire, which yeah. it used to be less common, right? Like now everything's widely available, YouTube, social media, whatever. But back then it was like I did the same thing. I bought my first one in 2015, didn't do anything for two years. Yeah. And then you kind of get bored and you're like, hmm, like <laughs> there's got to be a way to buy more. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, my goal, like my end goal was to buy three rentals. I wanted to have three rental properties. And that was going to be my retirement. So I was going to live off of the rent that I get from them. That was my retirement plan. And I wanted to do that by the time I was like 55 or 60. And that's, that started in 2013. I knew I wanted to get to, to the second property, but I didn't know how to get there. So from 2013 to 2015, I, I didn't really do much. I just, I just kept doing what I was doing. I didn't work like I was, only, I was just working the one job, mm-hmm. right? And then... Fast forward to 20, 2018, I started goal setting. I started reading the right books. Like I still hadn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I still hadn't read, I hadn't read like any of the staple books that all real estate investors should read. I haven't, I hadn't read a single one of those until 2018. And then that's when like the light, I had light bulbs go off and I'm like, I'm like, holy crap. Like I really need to, you know, apply all these things. I need to build my network. I joined bigger pockets. I started networking, talking to other people built up my team. I know like Austin, you use uh, some, some of the guys on my team for, for deals, like, you know, broker mortgage, mortgages and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Right. And like, shout out Jacob, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Jacob. So like we, we our episode of him yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So we, like, we, you know, I, that was, that was the mindset mindset shift there in 2018. And then I realized, okay, I can leverage my property. I have equity in my property. I can use that equity to to buy another property. Yes, there's risks involved. I, I learned what the risks involved were, educated myself on the birth strategy, and then I started implementing it in 2018. And I did I did that like seven times in 20, 2018, 2019. I did that about seven times before I started joint venturing with other people. So I do want to jump in the real estate stuff, but before I do that, one more thing that I'm I'm curious about is, is that you mentioned mindset quite often. What does mindset to you mean? And let's talk about what average people or prior, like in 2013, 2014, what was your mindset and how has that changed? Like, do you have specific examples? Yeah. Yeah. So prior to, you know, shifting my mindset more into a, a positive light, let's say, prior years before that, like, I kind of didn't live life in like an abundance, positive mindset. I lived more in like a scarcity, negative mindset. So if I had things that were, that were, you know, like a value or, you know, knowledge, like it wasn't something that, that was something that I was looking to like share that I wasn't looking to help other people. It was more me trying to figure out everything on my own and trying to just focus on everything that I do is just about me. Instead of learning from others, 
how I can, how I can help others so that I can learn. And that was one of the big things was I learned that if I can help others, then I also will, that information can be reciprocated. And I will also learn by joining other people who are successful and things like that. And before I was, I was also even fearful to reach out to successful people, right? Because I, I wasn't successful. What do I have to show you if I'm not successful? I felt like I have nothing to help you with, right? I have nothing to give you. So why would you ever want to speak to me? And that was the mindset shift. I realized that I don't have to be, you know, uber successful to, to reach out to somebody, to, to become friends with somebody, to be mentored by somebody, to build a team around somebody. I just had to have that motivation, that hustle, that drive, and that honest, genuine intent to grow. Yeah, I know. I love that you mentioned that because for a lot of people, it's it's definitely true. When you know something and it's a competitive advantage, you would never want to share it with someone. You just keep it to yourself because you feel like if you share it with someone, they're going to surpass you. So you start exactly. hoarding all of this information. You start hoarding all like team members. You start hoarding cat. Like you don't you don't give back. You just want to keep keep exactly. Keep. And for a long time, I'd say I had that mindset too. Sorry, my ear. I, I was just gonna say, like, I, I feel like I was the same way, like, even until like, you know, near the end of like last year, right? And then you start like sharing yourself, like telling other people, like, hey, like this is what I'm doing, like this kind of works, whatever. And like the only thing I've had since then has been like support from other people, but you also start to like you start to learn with them and like you you, you make your own like super fans, and it just it becomes a really cool community, right? Yes. Uh, and like, I feel like there's another, there's a different group of people that, for example, have accumulated significant wealth and they're really scared of, they have a different type of scarcity mindset where it's like, I've got to like preserve like my wealth. Right. So they're super defensive about everything. It's like, no, like my GIC or my, my fund is like the right fund. And this is the only way to do it. Right. So there's, there's another mindset that, that happens on that side. And like, you know, as all of our like net worth increases, it's kind of like something that we all I'm sure struggle with, right? It's like at any moment, could we lose all of this? And like that, that's a completely different mindset as well, right? I know it keeps me and Austin up like, (laughs) (laughs) so that's awesome. So, so okay, so you adopted your mindset, like how, how would you say you changed your mindset from the books, the podcast, like what was the major tools and resources that you use? It it was, it was a hundred percent the books first, so the books were what I started implementing and practicing, putting into practice everything that I was absorbing from the books. So that so was that. Habits and books were that, was that? Which books were they? Yeah, which books and what kind of habits did you pull away from each book? Yeah, so like Seven Habits of Highly Effective Thinking, The Power of Positivity, Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Millionaire Fastlane, Mindset. <laughs> just like, <Holy> shit. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> I just absorbed <laughs> everything. <laughs> It's so funny that you said the positivity positivity one because like this entire podcast, Sean's just been like sitting there smiling. Like, I was just like, going to time. <laughs> the biggest smile in the world right now. It's so infectious. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably going to be our first YouTube podcast episode too, just so you guys can see a smile. Awesome. Yeah, great. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, like I read all these books and then I'm like, I was inspired. You know, that's what changed. Like, if you want to talk about mindset, like I wasn't inspired before. Right. And once I became inspired, everything changed. And I'm like, man, I'm inspired to change my life. I'm inspired to do better for my kids. I'm inspired to do better for my family. I'm inspired to help other people. And then that, that was it. That's the mindset shift. Right. 
you know what's crazy everything in the world there is a book for it and i didn't realize that anything in life like if you're having relationship troubles there's a book for it if you want to fix your car there's a book for it if you want to change your mindset there's a book for it and i used to think reading books was for nerds and lames right um so after <laughs> graduating i was like yeah i'm not reading a damn book again but really i i attribute and i know sean like you as well mayu i, I know mayu reads books as well like we attribute a lot of success to the knowledge that we pull away from reading these books so for those who are out there who are not reading books and just listening to this podcast, you're losing out. Like you need to supplement the book reading with podcast. You need to do everything right. But the books is where you're going to get most of your knowledge from. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So what I really want to talk about, because I don't think we've had anyone here with eight towns or uh, a, a real multi that's anything past like a, tri- a triplex or maybe a, a quadplex, I guess, because me and Austin are always complaining about ours. <laughs> so why did you go from the duplex triplex into a, the larger multifamilies? Like, what is that? Like, what's really different? Cause you've done a, a whole bunch of duplexes and triplexes, right? And arguably those are working perfectly fine. So why then pivot to a bigger multifamily? Like what's the pros and cons to this? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say the, the trajectory seems natural. So you start with a duplex. Some people start with a single family home, condo, townhouse, then you buy a multifamily. If you like the multifamily space, which some people don't, right? Some people don't want anything to do with it. But if you like the multifamily space, you buy a duplex, then you buy a triplex, then you buy a fourplex. And then you realize that that to buy a duplex and to buy a fourplex is the same amount of work if you buy a sixplex or an eightplex or a twelveplex. Like the actual purchase, the analysis, the due diligence, the paperwork, everything that you have to do is the same amount of work, right? So if you can scale it and have more, more rental units under one property, that also allows for easier property management. So I think the end goal for most real estate investors should always be to make it as most, as most passive as they can. So if you want to make it as most passive as you can, if you could put majority of the units under larger properties and get property management in place, it's easier to actually have those properties managed. And are you buying these multifamilies tenanted, like fully tenanted or are a couple units vacant? Because we know that's usually the biggest trouble with a lot of multis, especially in Ontario. It's impossible to turn turn over units. Not impossible, but hard. Yeah. So it's a mixture. Some are are tenanted, some are vacant. Sometimes it's a mix. I've never bought, uh, have I? No, I've bought vacant too. So I've bought vacant, done full renovations, re-rented it out. And I've bought a mixture with tenants and some vacant. And then we kind of strategically make sure that going into it, we have a plan. So that as long as we have a plan and it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do with the property, then, you know, usually you're going to do pretty good. If you go into it blind, you don't know what you're doing. Mm. You might make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so, okay. I don't think we've ever talked about, so you're burying multifamily. Everyone understands how to burn like a single family or a duplex. Yeah. They do at this point. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because let's just say, can we, like, can we use your eight towns as an example and talk about the, like a multifamily? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you decided. Yeah. Yeah. This, this one's, so the, the, the townhouse is not a burr. So that that's a project that we bought that is not a burr. So it's just, it's like a buy and hold basically. We're just buying holding right now, but the numbers are really good. So I can talk about the numbers and kind of kind of walk through that, but it, it's not it's not an actual project that we've done. I have I have a probably a better project that we just completed last month that has real real nice numbers, juicy numbers that 
your listeners might like to listen to, but the, the town, and that's a burr, but the townhouse is not a burr. So we just straight up bought it and we're just holding it right now. It's fully tenanted. We haven't done anything strategic with it, except just put property management in place. And it's just, it's just rented out and, you know, making, making some money. That's awesome. So what's that project that you were alluding to there? <laughs> yeah. So the, this fourplex that we bought in the Niagara region is, it was an off market deal, which I know, you know, that's what investors are trying to get now because our market in Ontario is so hot. It's like, you can't even, you can't even get a deal that cash flows almost these days. You need to figure out a way to be creative, right? So this property was a wholesale deal that we picked up. So the way I ended up getting this property was I went to go look at a duplex to help a student of mine who I'm mentoring. We looked at the duplex. Right? No, this is this is a, another another not Connor. No, no. Okay. And so we check we check out this property, right? And I asked the owner, "Do you have any other rental properties that are for sale?" He he alluded to yes, but I don't know if I want to sell. I don't want to give too much info. So I got his phone number. Long story short, it took about a week before I was able to go get the information, go see this property. It was a fourplex that was his and he was willing to sell it. He gave me an amazing price right off the bat. So he was like $300,000 for an off-market fourplex with, with five meters in the Niagara region. So I already know that it's a home run. Like I already know that I, I would buy it right now at the ask price, but everything in life should be negotiated. So I... I said that I needed to negotiate this. And long story short, I ended up going back and forth. I got it for $240,000, which is a, a great a great deal. I ended up offering it up to my student who was not able to get the financing for that property. I then went and offered it to another joint venture partner of mine who was also not able to get the financing on it because he had another deal that was closing right around the same time. So I offered it to another person. We ended up partnering on it. And... This project was uh, two vacant units, two rented units, okay? We renovated two units, did the full exterior. So that's roof, siding, exterior doors, hallway, stairs inside, and, and, then, and then cosmetics all inside. So all in, we spent about $60,000. So, so what do you got then? $300,000. $300, and that was a six-week project. The refi came in at five hundred eighty-five thousand. Wow, that's that's crazy. You've now spoiled all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is without turning around the other two units. So, yeah, was the game plan like? Do you ever want to talk to those units and try to turn it around, or like, what's the game plan with that? Yeah. So I, when when I go into these properties, like. I'm not, I'm also not the type of guy who's, there's a guy who's living there for 30 years. He's 30, 30 years. He's like 80 years old. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't want to go anywhere. I don't, I don't need to get him out. So, so like, so I'm just like, it's fine. Like he can stay there as long as he wants. And the other lady is almost just, she's, she's really old, just like that same situation. It's lived there for a long time. So I'm like, I'm just going to leave them alone. They can stay there. They, they have, they have really low rents. Right. And it's okay. Like we're okay with it. The, the price that we bought it for and everything that we did, it's still a great investment, but at some point that'll turn, that'll turn over and we'll be able to double the rents on those two units. But the other two units we were able to get market rents were about, which, are, which are about uh, 1250. That's awesome. So what type of due diligence are you doing with these multifamilies? And how does that differ from, I guess, when you're buying duplexes and, and single families? 
Yeah, so like duplexes to fourplexes, I would say is the exact same due diligence. It's good if you're targeting a certain market. Like I know yourself, you're you're in Windsor right now. That's your that's your main bread and butter. So you've gotten to know the area, right? So you know you know what the rents are. You know how fast you can get these units rented out. You know what it costs you to build. You know what kind of issues you might run into. So I've 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 become accustomed with the Niagara region and the type of issues that I might come across, the rents that I would get, et cetera, et cetera. So the due diligence that I have to do on the properties is not, it's not very much, right? I know the area, I know what the properties are worth, I know what rents I can get, and I know what it'll cost me to reno and the timeline, and then I have the people lined up to do the work. So I really just need to make sure that the zoning is right and that I'm buying it at the best price. So I always try to make the most amount of money on the purchase. I try to make the biggest spread on the purchase, which is why I negotiate, renegotiate. Even when I have it under contract, I still try to renegotiate after. So are you, what, what cap rates are these properties trading on in the Niagara region? Most properties are like 4%, 5%. Um, oh, yeah. It's compressed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty low. So you're, you're looking wow. at like, like cash flow on duplexes that I'm seeing right now. You're buying a duplex for 450,000. The ones that are on MLS, they're like 450,000, 500,000. And you're going to be getting about 2,500 in rent. Right. Wow. So, yeah. So that's a 5%. You have like a, a four and a half cap in Niagara actually kind of makes sense. Like Windsor's that, like I was talking to someone the other day on a deal and it was a five and a half cap, right? Well, so well, the thing is we count property management and stuff in our cap, which kind of lowers it, right? Mayu? I, I think in, on that deal, I wasn't, but like, but still like, I've, like I've talked to a few people that have said five and a half to six cap is, is normal for Windsor. And if that's Windsor, Niagara should be a little bit lower and like yeah. Toronto, like Toronto's at like, like three cap, right? Like it's just ridiculous here. So it kind of does make sense. The, the low interest rate environment definitely helps the cap rates, I guess, but that's cool, man. So, so then the eight towns was a buy and hold and then the fourplex you did as well. Like what are the challenges then that you face here? Right? Because like with the eight towns versus this fourplex versus the duplex, there must be like a whole like slew of challenges, right? Like how are you raising the yeah. fund for the bigger projects? Are you going private? Is it all just JVs and you know, what, like, what's the nuances? Cause the eight towns I'm sure is commercial financing as well. Right. Yes. So it is, it is commercial financing. And when I was talking earlier about how there's like a natural trajectory. So the reason that I started with duplexes is because that's all I could afford. Right. So, so I could only, I only had the capital for duplexes. I didn't understand raising private money from other people. I didn't understand joint ventures and there's so there's so many variables, but like at the time, even if I even if I was able to actually raise the private money, I didn't have income to support it, to be able to you know take these mortgages on myself, right? So I ended up starting with the duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and then we went into the townhouses because of all the equity that we've built up over the last two years with the Burr strategies, refinancing all of our properties, pulling the capital out of those properties. So out of the 15 properties that I've purchased, I don't think I have money in more than one or two of those properties anymore. They're a hundred percent infinite returns. I've refinanced every single property, pulled them all out. And most of them are at like 70 to 80%. My whole portfolio is probably like 70, low seventies, I would say of, uh, of leverage. Hmm. Wow. That's a, you have quite a bit of equity built in. And with these townhouses that you ended up purchasing, is there room to increase the value Oh yeah. Around or what, what's the game plan with that? So it is a buy and hold, but where's the room to increase the value in your books? 
Yeah. So we have, we have eight townhouses. The total rents in them are about 8,000 bucks. So we make about 8,000 a month. We paid 800,000 for eight townhouses. So we bought, we bought them a hundred thousand unit. They make $8,000 gross, right. Per month. And uh, if we push up the mark to the market rents, which we're hearing is like, I've heard some people say 15, but let's say like 1300, right. We'd still be looking at 10,400. 10, 240K. That's based on just the one. Yeah. So, so we'd be able to raise the income by, let's say 30,000 a year about that 28, $28,000 a year, which should be a boost of about $560,000 on the property. And what cap rate are you using to calculate that boost? Do you know? Oh, I have, I have to look at, uh, so tracking. when you, yeah, when you go through the, when you go through these commercial properties, you pay the appraiser. So you actually choose the appraiser, the appraiser will go out, do the whole analysis, and then they check the cap rates and compare them to all the other similar properties or in the comps that have sold in the area. And then they base it on the bedrooms and the units, right? And then they do their median or, uh, yeah, it's a median value. And then they give you the cap rates, but based on the cap rate that we got, that's kind of where the number is. But we're looking at like 1.5, 1.4 around there once we once we actually get the rents up. Wow. And are, are there other properties in good condition inside as well, like decent condition, or you got to do some work in it? They're not horrible. They're they're totally re-rentable the way they are. So if a tenant leaves, you can just re-rent it, but we wanted to change it, right? So we want to actually make it like a lot nicer. So put in, you know, nice new kitchens, maybe some quartz counters, right? We really wanted to change the, change the, just how it looks, right? How the feel inside. Cause right now it's kind of like, eh, it's a thousand dollar unit. So. You know, that's what I like about multifamilies when you when you break past four units, when you're talking about five, six, seven, eight units plus is, is that really you're at the influence of how much rents you can get. So if you can somehow increase rents one way or another, you're adding a ton of value to the property. Are you doing anything else strategic to increase rents other than in increasing the rental income? Like, are you are you doing like washer dryers charging for parking or anything like that or no? No, so we're not we're not doing anything like that, but there is one thing that we're looking into, which is doing submeters on all of them. Right now there's one main water meter for the entire property that we pay for. So we're we are looking into doing eight submeters for each one. And then as they turn over, we will then put the water into that tenant's name, which would also lower the expenses, increase the net, and yeah, should be good. Yeah, yeah. So I guess for those listeners who are not aware, multifamilies are valued based on cap rates. And cap rates are essentially a function of your net operating income. And net operating income is your revenue minus your operating expenses. So in this case, you're not, yes, you're going to increase your revenue. You're going to increase your rents. But on top of that, you're going to decrease your expenses. So like now you're creating even more NOI, like higher revenues, even lower expenses. That's very smart. I think a lot of people, too much people focus on what can I do to increase rents. Well, what if your what if your property is not running efficiently? Well, you should ask yourself, what can I do to decrease expenses? That's just as good of a way to exactly increase the, to increase the value of the property. So I love that. So that's something you can go into a property and just do right away. If it's fully tenanted and you can't do that turnover, you can still figure out a way to try to decrease some of your expenses, just like you said, right? And that's still on your net. It's still adding to your net income. Exactly. Yeah. So what else projects do you have going on now? So we know that you acquired quite a bit over the last couple of months. So I'm, I'm putting in offers. I had a property under, under a contract this week. I ended up doing the walk. I got it under contract before doing the walkthrough. I did the walkthrough and I'm like, I can't, I can't buy it. It's just, I can't justify it. It doesn't make sense. 
putting in offers like every single week. I am working on a project out in Belize, which I'm, I think you've seen some of the stuff that I've been posting there. And that basically is me buying parcels of land on this island called Ambergris Key. And it's, it's a part of Belize and I'm investing there and buying these plots of land with the plan to actually build on the land, do short-term rentals and maybe some other cash flow opportunities that I'm strategically trying to align right now down there. Let's talk about it. Are you open Absolutely. to talk about that or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is, this is like a good lesson. This is a good lesson is that anything that you want to accomplish in life the easiest and fastest way to get there is to find somebody who's done it and ask them how they did it. Right. So I, I've always wanted to, to invest in like somewhere tropical. I want to, I wanted to own Island real estate. I'm like super into like Caribbean sand, the beach, palm trees, the music, reggae. Like I, I just love that. Right. And so this was one of my dreams. This was like, you know, maybe when I'm 65, I can do this. And I realized I don't have to wait that long. I can just, I can really focus on how can I get there now? So I ended up buying this plot of land down there and I ended up meeting a gentleman through this purchase who explained to me how he was able to acquire a bunch of land and property down there and retire off of raw land on the Island. And he, he basically told me all of his little secrets about, of how he did it. But uh, the nuts and bolts of it is he's purchased land, sat on it, and then resold it later on to at a higher price to people who want the land are not ready to build on it, but they're ready to invest now. And he actually does seller financing or vendor takebacks on the raw land on 10, 15 or 20 years, which gives people the time to buy in their 30s, plan for retirement, continue paying him over the next 15, 20 years. And he's collecting money from all of these basically as mortgages, which creates cash flow for, for him. I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just doing what somebody else has already done. Wow. So what's, the, what's the acquisition prices on these plots of land that you're picking up for and how big are they? They're, they're 60 by 80 wide in general, most of them. So 60 feet frontage, 80 feet deep. They're walking distance to, to like a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful beach where there's lots of development going on, which is even more exciting to me. So they're enough to build like two little homes or one big home, maybe a swimming pool. And I'm, I'm using my negotiation skills that I've learned here in Canada with my real estate purchases that I've made here. So I'm not buying anything at face value. I've done a bunch of research on what other people are buying them for, and I'm probably buying them for about 50 cents on the dollar. So I'm, I'm looking at like on average in there it's us funds, but on average in Canadian funds, we're looking at like 20 to 25,000 per plot of land that I'm buying right now. Damn. That's not bad though. <laughs> so, but it, it is a very like capital intensive, like land development and like land assembly, which, which is kind of what you're doing, right. And then you're issuing the mortgage. I feel like I heard this on like a bigger pockets podcast or some, someone's podcast recently. So, but it is a very capital intensive play on your side. And then you're reissuing the mortgage. So you're collecting the interest as well. So you're getting a much higher rate of return. Yes. But so how are, you, if, how are you funding it right now? Like, is it just your own capital or like, what's the deal there? Yeah. So I started with my own capital. I purchased, uh, I purchased a few on my own and then I had some of my investor friends join me for some of the, the most re recent acquisitions. So we've actually opened a corporation. And we've actually used that corporation to buy land now with some of my partners. And, 
and yeah, we're just, we're just kind of growing, growing down there using, using some of our investment capital, some of our equity from real estate here, investing down there for me, like it's, it's a journey, right? So I don't know, I don't know exactly where this is going to take me. I have a plan and I have a final destination, but I don't know what's going to happen along this journey. It's, it's exciting to do it and go through all of the process. And every time that we close on something, I'm like, I get more excited. Right. So (laughs) So you're buying this out straight in cash, right? No financing yeah. whatsoever. Gotcha. Yeah. And are these lands, are they, how does it work? Are they serviced? Or are they unserviced? They just raw plots of land with trees on them or they've been cleared out? Yeah. Yeah. No. So they're, they're raw plots of land. There's people building on the raw plots of land nearby, like very nearby with like, let's say a block or two from the, the land that I'm purchasing and I'm purchasing all, all in the same development, but there's bars and restaurants and that are all not serviced with utilities all in the same area. And there's people building homes that are also on solar in the area. But to give you an idea, if you're buying like second row, third row, fourth row from the beach, which is about 500 feet away, we're talking like 80,000 US to 120,000 US. And then beachfront is like 150 to 200,000 US for the raw land. So if you go in 500 feet, the price that I'm buying it for, what the research that I've done, like we've seen, we've seen service lots or non-service lots go to service lots and have a five-fold increase. So if you're paying 25,000, there'll be 100 to $120,000 per lot once it's serviced. Yeah, that's an easy way to increase value with vacant plots of land. Is you need like no one wants to go through the servicing process. It's expensive. You got to deal with the, well, in, in Ontario, you got to deal with the city wherever you're investing in, right? And also mm-hmm. sometimes it's not even possible to service land, right? If it's too far away from, I guess where the main lines are, it, it could be either very costly or just altogether you need to wait a while before you can service it. Just has yeah. to make sense, I guess, right? But but this is a strategy that you could essentially do in Canada as well, right? Like, is it not the same strategy that a lot of people here do with land assembly and and severance and selling off lots of land and whatever? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you could do the exact same strategy here. The only reason that I'm really focusing down there is because I have a bigger picture of what I'm going to do down there. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to sell all of the land. My plan would be to actually build, build on at least mm. half of them, let's say, and then have Airbnb short-term rentals. And from the statistics and studies we've seen from agents down there, they have a huge need because this this land, this uh, island is only like three and a half miles wide, right? So it's three it's three and a half miles wide. There there's already San Pedro, which is a little hub, which has I think thirteen thousand people that are living there, and then the secondary hub that they're planning and hoping that this hydro and everything is going to run to is exactly in the development developing area where I'm buying. Damn, you know crazy. crazy. I've so, realized it's been less than a decade, and Sean has went from duplexes to multis to raw land purchases in less yeah. than a decade. And uh, within the next like, couple of years, you're probably going to hit. Within the decade, you're probably going to hit development. So that's crazy. That is. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for next year. Yeah, a lot of people talk about it. No one ever, no one ever does anything with it, right? So this is a big leap of faith, and looks like it's gonna be really rewarding. So, damn, that's good on you. So right now, are your multi-families back in Ontario? Are they kind of paying for your living expenses? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 crazy to it's crazy to like self-reflect, man, and see like see where you started and then where where you are, and it's it's kind of surreal sometimes because you you know, you, you don't see how fast you progress. And like, 
Austin, I know you can totally relate to this because I've followed your journey. So I know you can relate to this, but it's crazy to see the progression. Like you can just change your life so quickly. And yeah, so with the cash flow that that I'm getting, I, I actually I don't use all of the cash flow. I I actually reinvest and save. I'd probably say like 70% of my income. And uh, and I use the rest to to fund my my family's life basically, like our living expenses. So throughout this long seven, eight year journey, less than a decade, what word do you say are the biggest takeaways, the learning lessons? If you could summarize like kind of your learning lessons throughout the journey, because you read a ton of books, you you built that mindset, you've accomplished so much. If you can summarize key takeaways for our audience out there who want to get started on the same journey as you, because you started with almost nothing, pretty much nothing. nothing. What are some key takeaways <laughs> and advice you can give these people? Okay, so number one is take action. Take action. And, and what I mean by take action is talk to other people who are doing what you want to do align yourself with other people who are doing what you want to do. Read, spend the time to read your books, spend the time to listen to your podcast. Anybody who doesn't believe in what you're trying to do, you need to block it out. Like you need to eliminate it. It doesn't exist. Like the, those negative, those negative thinkers will suck your energy away and you got to get rid of that. Right. So you want to make sure you're on the right path. You're educating yourself taking action and then stay consistent and implement the things that you're learning. Right. So this isn't like, this isn't like something where you all of a sudden are just like super successful and like, you're just going to, you know, quit your job tomorrow. Right. It's a journey and it's a process and you need to learn to have patience as you're going along that journey. And you need to understand that not everything is going to go perfect. You're going to make so many mistakes along that journey, but you need to fail forward every time, every time you fail and you, and you, and you fail at something, you get up and you do it again. I actually have something with my kids. So I'll sit down for dinner with my daughters and I ask them, this is a common question. I ask them, they're used to, I ask them, Hey, what did you guys fail at today? Right. And I ask them what they failed at today so that they understand that failure is not a negative thing. Failure is part of a learning process and growth. You gave me such a fucking good idea right now. We're sharing wins and rise. I should ask like everyone share a failure. (laughs) Honestly, I wonder how many people would actually do it though. Like no one likes talk- everyone likes talking about your wins, but very rarely like on social media do people yeah. ever like publicly talk about their 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 L's, right? Yeah. Okay, Sean, that was that was a, a great intro into our next question. So I know we've already talked a lot about you know how much you've done over the last like seven or seven to ten years, but like where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? Man, like I want to focus, continue focusing on what I'm doing here in Canada, but I also want to focus on what I'm doing there with investments in Belize. So in five years, like I'd really like to actually have my goals and thoughts and plans in on the, on the Island there to come to fruition to, you know, justify the time and the money that I've spent into there. So in five years, I'd love to have that come for full circle and be able to be self-reflect and say, Hey, like this idea that I had worked out and it's, you know, and it, and it, and it's been successful. So you, you know how long that development will take for, let's say, is, is that like a couple of years? Is that feasible within five years, the, the development phase? I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with how long development. It, takes. Yeah, it's actually, it's not actually that long at all. I was talking to a real estate agent here in the Niagara region who's actually developing there right now. Oh, nice. And yeah, she, she has a six month timeline. So her, her, her house will be built in six months on, on a lot that's actually very close to mine. 
Holy crap. That's amazing. So really that could be three years from now, two years from now. That's awesome, man. Question I have yeah. for you is this is this is yeah. a fun question. If you were to win $10 million today, what would you do with it? And you cannot spend it all on real estate investing. So some of it has to be personal and fun. So let's let's give a mix of both. Oh, okay. That yeah, obviously the go-to answer was real estate. <laughs> all right. So if I if I had $10 million, I would probably I'd probably diversify into other assets, right? Like I love investing. So yes, like, okay, so let's let's talk about what I'd invest in. I'd invest in cryptocurrency. I'd buy a nice stock dividend portfolio and I'd probably splurge on, I don't know, maybe like a mansion on the beach, something like that, like a mansion on the beach. And then maybe, uh, maybe like a really tricked out golf cart for the beach. <laughs> a golf cart. Okay. Not a Tesla, a golf cart. <laughs> I rate it. I rate it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So our last question for, from our lightning round. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, like who would you choose and why? Yeah, Elon Musk. Oh, Man, that, yeah, that that guy, that guy's he's a visionary. Yes. Yeah, he's a visionary. Like he's cha- he's changing our generations lives and he's going to change future generations lives. Like and the one thing that I really love is that if you if you follow everything that he does, he doesn't care about rules and he doesn't care about other people's status quo. And most successful people have that mindset. I love it. Did you buy Tesla stocks? No, I didn't. I wish I did. I would take that answer t- back. You got to change tenfold. it. You won't be too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually just started investing in stocks this year. So like I, I've never owned stocks up until Nice. Right, so are you doing equities or dividends or stock option trading? Just dividends. Nice. Nice. Love it. Yeah, no, I'm doing indexes right now. It's good to diversify. Definitely. But uh, anyway, Sean, it was great having you on, man. You're a burst of positive energy. You accomplished so much in in, in seven years, dude. It's phenomenal. I know people out there, they're going to be very inspired and hopefully ready to take some action. If people want to reach out to you, um, where can they do so? Yeah. In Instagram, Facebook, it's just Sean, it's Sean Rea or it's Sean.Rea, S-H-A-W-N. So it's either dot or not, or not the dot in between. I don't know, but Instagram or Facebook is the best. And like, thank you so much, Austin, for having me on. I appreciate it. And I, I love chatting with, with you and uh, sharing my story. And thank you. Thank you, Mayo as well. You guys rock. Awesome guys. We're going to leave all of Sean's information in the show notes. So you can check it out there, reach out to him. He's very responsive un- unlike myself, unfortunately, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have your DMS uh, burst open. But anyways, guys, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to like subscribe, share this with a friend. If you enjoyed this podcast, because it keeps us going and until next time, invest smarter and live better.